0: Chapter thirty of Cripps the Carrier by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter thirty The Fire Bell. The doors of the rooms on either side were not only open but fastened back. The sashes of the windows were all thrown up, and the rain, which had followed when the east wind fell, had entered and made puddles on the sills inside. Such a draft of air rushed down the passage that Hardenow's lengthy skirts flickered out in the orthodox fashion behind him. At the end of this passage he came to a small alcove, fenced off with a loose white curtain, shaking and jerking itself in the wind. He put this aside with his stick, and two doorways leading into separate rooms, but with no doors in them, faced him. Something told him that both these rooms held human life or human death first he looked at the one on the left he expected to see lonely death perhaps corruption or he knew not what his nerves were strung or unstrung whichever is the medical way of putting it to such a degree that he wholly forgot or entirely put by everything except his own absorbing sense of his duty as a man in holy orders this duty had never been practiced yet in any serious way because he had never been able to afford it It costs so much more money than it brings in. However, in the midst of more lucrative work, he had felt that he was sacred to it, rich or poor, and he often had a special hankering after it. This leaning towards the cure of souls had a good chance now of being gratified. In the room on the left hand, he saw a little bed, laid at the foot of a fat four-poster, which with carved mouths grinned at it, and on this little bed of white, without curtain or trimming or tester, lay a lady, or a lady's body, cast down recklessly in sleep or death, with the face entirely covered by a silvery cloud of hair. From the manner in which one arm was bent, Hardenow thought that the lady lived. There was nothing else to show it. Being a young man, a gentleman also, he hung back and trembled back from entering that room. Without any power to resolve things well, as he always directed his pupils to do Hardnow stepped to the other doorway and silently settled his gaze inside his eyes were so worried that he could not trust them until he had time to consider what they told they told him a tale even stranger than that which had grown upon him for an hour now and passed from a void alarm into terror they showed him the loveliest girl according to their rendering that ever they had rested on till now a maiden sitting in a low chair reading silently sometimes and sometimes in a whisper according to some signal perhaps at which he saw no sign there was no other person in the room so far as he could see and he strained his eyes with extreme anxiety to make out that the rev thomas hardenow knew as clearly as his keen perception ever had brought any knowledge home that he was not discharging the functions now unless they were too catholic of the sacerdotal office in watching a young woman through a doorway without either leave or notice but though he must have been aware of this it scarcely seemed now to occur to him or whether it did or did not he went on in the same manner gazing the girl could not see him it was not fair play the width of the great windows for instance kept up such a rattling of blinds and such flapping of cords that even the floor was so strewn with herbs for the sake of their aroma that anybody might quite come close to anybody who had cast away fear in the vast despair of prostration without any sense of approach until perhaps hand was laid upon shoulder now took no more advantage of these things than about half a minute in that half minute however his outward faculties being all alive with fear rendered to his inward and end diathetic organs a pitcher a schema or a plasm the proper word may be left to him such as would remain inside at least while the mind abode there the sound of low laborious breath pervaded the sick room now and then between the creaking noises and the sighing of the wind in spite of all draughts the air was heavy with the scent of herbs strewn broadcast to prevent infection tansy wormwood rue and sage burnt lavender and rosemary the use of acids and malignant fevers was at that time much in vogue and saucers of vinegar and verjuice seeped lemon-peel and such-like as well as dozens of medicine-bottles stood upon little tables still hardenow could not see the patient only by following the glance of the reader could he discover the direction it was the girl herself however on whom his wandering eyes were bent at first he seemed to know her face and then he was sure that he must have been wrong the sense of doing good and the wonderful influence of pity had changed the face of a pretty girl into that of a beautiful woman Ard now banished his first idea and wondered what strange young lady this could be although she was reading aloud and doing it not so very badly it was plain enough that she expected no one to listen to her the sound of her voice perhaps was soothing to some one who understood no words as people in some of the many unknown conditions of brain have been soothed and recovered by a thread of waterfall broken with a walking-stick at any rate she read on and her reading fell like decent poetry hardenow scarcely knew what he ought to do and he did not like to go forward and it was a mean thing to go backward rendering no help when help seemed wanted so extremely he peeped back into another room and there was the lady with the fine white hair sleeping as soundly as a weary top driven into dreaming by extreme activity of blows. Nothing less than a fine idea would have delivered Hardenow from this bad situation. It was suddenly become upon his mind that the house had a rare old fire-bell, a relic of nobler ages, hanging from a bar in the little open cot, scarcely big enough for a hen-roost, and Russell had shown him one day, with a laugh, the corner from which the rope hung there certainly could be but very little chance of doing harm by wringing it what could be worse than the present state of things some good samaritan might come no levite was left to be driven away for hardenow understood the situation now the meaning of a very short paragraph in the oxford paper of saturday which he had glanced at and cast by came distinctly home to him the careful editor had omitted name of person and of place but had made his report quite clear to those who held a key to the reference how very dull-witted now i must be cried the poor young fellow in his lonely trouble i ought to have known it but we never know the dearest things until too late it was not only for the sake of acquitting himself of an awkward matter but also in the hope of doing good to the few left desolate hard now moved forth his legs from the windy white curtain away again he went down the passage at a very great pace as nearly akin to a run as the practice of long steady walks permitted and then at the head of the staircase he turned and remembered a quiet little corner here in an out-of-the-way recess a rope of the alarm-bell hung and he saw it even in that niche moving to and fro with a universal draught now seized it and rang such a peal as the old bell had never given tongue to before. The bell was a large one, sound and clear, and the call must have startled the neighborhood for a mile if it could be startled. "'Really, I do believe I have roused somebody at last,' exclaimed the ringer as he looked through a window commanding the road to the house, and saw a man on horseback coming. "'But surely, unless he sprang out of the ground, he must have been coming before I began.' In this strange loneliness almost any visitor would be welcome, and Hardenow ran towards the top of the stairs to see who it was, and to meet him. But here, as he turned the corner of the balustraded gallery, a scared and hurrying young woman almost ran into his arms. "'Oh, what is it?' she cried, drawing back and blushing to a deeper colour than well-extracted blood can show. "'There is no funeral yet. He is not dead. Who is ringing the bell so?' it has startled even him and will either kill or save him kill him it will kill him i am almost sure esther uh, miss cripps what a fool i am i never thought of that i did not know how could i tell i am all in the dark is it russell overshoot yes mr hardenow everybody knows it every one has taken good care to run away even the doctors will come no more they say it is hopeless and they might only infect their other patients i fear that his mother must die too she has taken the fever in a milder form but walk she will while walks she can and at her time of life it is such a chance but i cannot stop one moment and at your time of life it is nothing esther you seem to think of everybody but yourself is this fair to your own hearth and home while he was speaking he looked at her eyes and her eyes were filling with deep tears a dangerous process to contemplate oh no there is no fear of that she answered misunderstanding him i shall take good care not to go home until i am quite sure there is no risk that is not what i mean i mean supposing you yourself should catch it if i do they will let me stay here i am sure but i have no fear of it the hand that led me here will lead me back again but you ought not to be here i am quite forgetting you Hardenow looked at her with admiration warmer than he could put into words. She had been thinking of him throughout. She thought of every one except herself. Even in the moment of first surprise, she had drawn away so that she stood to leeward, and while they were speaking she took good care that the current of wind passed from him to her. Also, in one hand, she carried a little chafing-dish, producing lively fumigation. "'Now, if you please, I must go back to him.' nothing would move him he lay for hours as a log lies in a stone i could not have knowledge whether he was living only for his breathing sometimes like a moan the sound of the bell seemed to call him to life for he thought that it was his own funeral his mother is with him worn out as he is the lady awoke at this rambling she sent me to find out the meaning now sir please go back round the corner the shivering wind comes down the passage Hardenau was not such a coward as to obey her orders he even wanted to shake hands with her as in her girlhood he used to do when he had frightened this little pupil with too much emendation but esther curtsied at a distance and started away until her retreat was cut off very suddenly why ho oh girl ho oh girl and young man in a corner what is the meaning of all this i have come to see things righted my name is worth oglander "'and I find this here old house silent as a grave, "'and you two looking like a brace of robbers. "'Young woman, young woman, wh- "'why bless me now if it isn't our own Eddie Cripps. "'I did believe and would believe, "'but for knowing of your family, Eddie, "'and your brother Cripps the Carrier, "'that here you are for the purpose "'of setting this old mansion afire.' Esther, having been hard set "'to sustain what had happened already,' as well as unblessed with a wink of sleep since friday night was now unable to assert her dignity she simply leaned against the wall and gently blew into the embers of her disinfecting stuff she knew that the squire might kill himself after all his weeks of confinement by coming over here in this rash manner and working himself up so but it was not her place to say a word even if she could say it mr Oglander said hardenow coming forward and offering his hand while esther looked at them from beneath a cloud of smoke i know your name better than you know mine you happened to be on the continent when i was staying in your village my name is thomas hardenow i am a priest of the anglican church and have no intention of setting anything on fire lord bless me lord bless me are you the young fellow that turned half the heads of beckley and made the oxford examiners all tumble back like dead herrings with their jaws down cripps was in the schools and he told me all about it and you were a friend of poor overshoot i am proud to make your acquaintance sir master cripps has inverted the story i fear hardenow answered with a glance at esther while he could not without rudeness get his hand out of the ancient squire's which clung to another in this weak time as heartily as it used to do the examiners made a dry herring of me but i am very glad to see you sir i have heard of at least i mean i feared that you were in weak health almost not a bit of it i was fool enough or rather i should say my sister to have a lot of doctors down fellows worth their weight in gold or at any rate in brass every day of their own blessed lives, and yet, with that temptation even, they cannot lengthen their own days. Of that I will tell you some other time. They kept me indoors, and they drenched me with the physic, this, that, and the other. God bless you, sir, this hour of the air with my own good mare under me. This has done me more good, but my head goes round, just a little, not anything to notice. Eddie, my dear, don't you be afraid?' With these words the squire sank down on the floor, not through any kind of fit or even loss of consciousness, but merely because his fine old legs, being quite out of practice for so many weeks, had found it a little more than they could do to keep themselves firm in the stirrups, and then carry their master up slippery stairs, and after that to support a good deal of excitement among the trunk parts. End of Chapter 30